0: If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning from the Gospel of Luke. How many of you have ever heard a sermon preached on the ten lepers? That you recall, one. I've never preached on it before either. So I look forward to it. It was fun studying the text. A lot of history, historical background for the things that take place here in the Gospel of Luke. In the 17th chapter, I must have asked you to stand already. I don't remember, but you're standing, so that's good. So starting in verse 11, down through verse 19, let's hear the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying Jesus master have mercy on us when he saw them he said to them go and show yourselves to the priest and as they went they were cleansed then one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus feet giving him thanks notice this is no now he was a samaritan Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I would ask you to go in prayer for me as I would preach this text. Pray for yourselves as well as you sit under the proclamation of God's word, that it would be beneficial to us, God would bless it to us. Uh, I have told you before, the primary means of grace is the proclamation of the word of God. it's what a fascinating thing that God uses broken vessels, uh, even sinful vessels, uh, to proclaim his word. And he uses it for the glory of himself and the good of his people. Let's go into prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks in first place that you accept us into your presence and you receive our prayers and you answer them. I would ask you, O God, to be with us as we come to consider this text this morning. I would pray that uh, you would be with me as I preach it, that you would help me, O God, to preach in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with the congregation as they hear it, that they would receive it and understand it. We would pray if any are here outside of faith in Christ that you would grant a conversion. We pray that if any are here who are downcast and burdened and really have a difficult time giving you thanks because of the circumstances of their lives, that you again would work grace and repentance. We thank you for your love for us in Christ's name. Amen. In four days from today, we will celebrate again a Thanksgiving day. Uh, In America, the tradition goes back to 1619, the Commonwealth of Virginia, when 38 people had a celebration of worship when they landed after their trip over from England. The more familiar one that we know is that one in uh, 1621 in Plymouth, Massachusetts, Thanksgiving was prompted by the good crop that God had given to the pilgrims Calvinist settle this land, the pilgrims and the Puritans. Is it a day in this country that has been historically connected to God and his work and his blessings? In so many cases today, that is something that has been forgotten. And so we get together and we thank God for the turkey, and we thank God for—I mean, we're thankful for the turkey, we're thankful for our friends, we're thankful for this and that. But sometimes we seem to go back to the original source to those blessings, which is God Himself. In our own country, it's probably seldom thought of by the masses of the people. It's them a day uh, to get together with family and, and to eat and watch football games. Nothing wrong with eating and watching football games. But really, at the core and the history of thanksgiving, it was a day to give thanks to God. And there's a question. Do you think that people who are true Christians find motivation to thank God when they get what they want? When things are going well for them? When God says yes, 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 yes to one request after another? But are there people who find themselves in the midst of the valley of struggle and they simply can't bring it to their lips, to their hearts and minds to give praise to God because of what they are facing? Sometimes you may enter into a situation that you never imagined that you would ever face something as difficult as that. Sometimes we find that our dreams, our hopes are shattered by the reality of failure in a marriage or failure in health, whatever the case may happen to be. Is it proper for us as Christians to get ourselves in such a mindset that we simply cannot give thanks to God? Well, hear this. It is always proper, no matter what we're facing or dealing with, for believers to give thanksgiving to God. I listened to three different sermons on this text. One was uh, Alistair Begg. One was um, Sinclair Ferguson. And the other was Jeff Thomas. How many people here know Jeff Thomas? I know you did, some of you. Uh, he's from Wells. I think he's retired, but he still preaches. Uh, he is one of the most gifted preachers I've ever He's always on spot to me. Uh, and he preached, I think, to uh, those I listen to, the best sermon. This proposition is his, but I couldn't come up with a better one. Gratitude to God is the indispensable evidence of grace that has been received. Gratitude to God is the indispensable evidence that grace has been received. So we start out here. There's a group of people that are living in misery at the opening of this story. They are outcast. Uh, they are diseased with leprosy. Uh, it was a fear disease for two reasons it could be it was contagious it passed it by water droplets by you breathing out by your coughing whatever the case may happen to be it was a contagious disease another thing was feared it was it resulted in forced isolation they were quarantined they were shut off from society they were shut off from family and friends they had to live outside the camp or outside the village outside the city and the pharisees thought that leprosy and the people's brother, well, it was a result of sin. Some sin that someone had committed against someone else, or something that some God, they had done, uh, to God, and He's punishing them for that by afflicting them with leprosy. Christ dispelled that notion in John chapter 9 and verse 3. Here's this blind man. Jesus' disciples asked, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Christ said, None, neither. Neither one of them saying, This has happened so that the glory of God may be revealed. And then we could ask ourselves as believers, do we look at sickness and disease? Do we look at trials as that way? That God, if you're a Christian, is not simply giving you a hard time because he delights in your misery, but rather he is working in such a way for you to realize, recognize, and rest in God's glory. As Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong, because my strength comes from not some inner source of of, uh, energy, not some inner source of strength of character or personality, but rather it comes from Christ himself. The God who lives within us gives us strength and the ability to deal with difficulties in our lives if we will look to him and trust him. So that, as Jesus said to the disciples, no one sinned. This is so that the glory of God may be revealed. Well, none of these lepers sinned. That's not why they are afflicted in God's providence. We don't know exactly why they were, but we know it was not because their parents sinned or they sinned in some way. So this uh, individuals uh, had this disease that was dreaded. There are 39 references to leprosy in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Five of these are Exodus numbers in Deuteronomy, the other 34 in the book of Leviticus. And as you know, the book of Leviticus is the book of the priest. It has to do with their offerings. It talks about the priest's job, the things that they're supposed to do, the things that they have to do. And one thing, the priests were the ecclesiastical physicians in the Old Testament. The priest had to determine... If someone had a blemish or a disease of the skin, if they had leprosy. And so you've got a red spot on your skin where you go see the priest. You've got an infection of the skin, you go and see the priest. You've got a red spot on your skin, you go and see the priest. You have a burn that has become infected, you go and see the priest. And the priest looked at it to determine if it was leprous. If it was leprous, you had to not clean your hair You had to wear torn clothes and you had to walk about saying unclean, unclean and live outside the camp. Leviticus 13, 45 and 6 explains it to us. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair, the hair of his head hang loose. He shall remain unclean as long as the disease, as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Why were they outside of the camp? Why did God mandate this? And this came from God. It wasn't up the idea of the priest. It was a mandate from the Lord. And I would say two reasons. Given the nature of the contagiousness of the disease, it was one way to keep the disease in check. But the real reason is that the camp of Israel was considered holy ground. You see the difference. And their view of God, in so many cases our view of God, that the land on which they lived was holy because God was present there. And because it was a holy ground, then those who had this uncleanness were forced to live outside of the camp until they either got well or they continued on with the disease. Whatever the case may happen to be, they were excluded from the rest of society. And so here are these ten men they're standing in this village, we don't know exactly where it was. Christ is traveling to Jerusalem, he is traveling to Jerusalem to be crucified. And remember that verse in Luke nine fifty one. When the days were near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to go and offer himself as a sacrifice. He set his face. He wasn't going to be dissuaded. Was he going to be turned away to go back in the other direction out of fear? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is the third mention of his journey in the book of Luke in these sections, and as he is in an area that is a foreign country, the suburbs, if you will, outside of the city, on the unbeaten path. And we know that the work that Jesus did in uh, Jerusalem and in uh, Nazareth and uh, uh, other places that uh, he was more popularly traveled and that he had not been here as often if he had ever been here at all. We simply do not know why is he stopping in this village. We don't know that either. Perhaps to take a rest, perhaps to get some food to eat, perhaps to get some water to drink. We really don't know why he is stopping there. And it's not important for us to know that. If God wanted us to know that, he would have told us why. But it is, he sees these ten lepers assembled outside of this village. Again, they had to be. They could congregate with one another, but not with other people. And we gather these people, these individuals, these men had an incurable disease of leprosy. I don't know if you've ever seen what leprosy does, but it is horrible. It eats away your flesh, eats away through extremities, so people lose fingers and toes uh, it is an absolutely horrible, horrible. It was the COVID of their day, leprosy was. Or you can say leprosy is the COVID of our day, perhaps. I don't know exactly how to put it. So they have this burden of their existence. They have to appear unkept. They have to walk about exclaiming, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they have to wear clothes that are tattered and ragged. Uh, the burden of their existence they could not work. They had to depend upon handouts. They couldn't go back to their wives. If they had wives at home, they could not go back to their parents. They could not go to their children. They had to live outside in isolation. Well, here, as they are outside of this village, Christ appears. Did they know Jesus was coming? We don't know if they, did, if they knew that. One thing they do know, they know who he is, they know what he can do, and what he has done in the past. They know who Christ is. They know he has done marvelous things. They have heard about these things. And you understand the news about Jesus would have been pervasive in that time and in the eras throughout uh, Palestine. Here's this man that the story goes, he was conceived in the womb of his mother by the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's this man that uh, has gone about teaching and instructing people, and he was one who taught with authority. Here's this man who, as the story goes, has raised the dead. Remember, all of Jesus' miracles pretty much have been done by this time because he's getting ready to die. We heard about him raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. We heard about him raising the widow's son. We heard about him giving sight to the blind. We heard about him healing the cripple. We heard about him doing all of these marvelous things. The news would have been throughout, for three years, Christ had been in the region teaching, preaching, healing. They'd heard about him. And again, they know who he was. They knew what he could do and what he had done. Christ did things that no one else had ever done and no one else could possibly do. This man controlled the weather. This man was on a boat with his disciples, and a storm came up, and they were terrified. And he spoke to the weather, and it stopped the storm. Remember what the disciples said? What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves listen to him and respond to him. I don't like, I love to fish. I don't know if y'all knew that, and I love to fish, and I hate to fish in strong winds. I just don't like it. It blows your bait all over the place. It blows your line. I can't make it quit blowing. I tried one time. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. But Christ simply spoke to a storm and it stopped. What kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him? So these men, these ten individuals, had heard of this Jesus. And all of the stories connected with them. Well, there's an urgent plea of these men in the second place. When they see Jesus, they lift up their voices in an urgent prayer. This is a prayer, a request to Christ, a request to God. It is a prayer. Master Jesus, have mercy on us. Help us. Unclean, help us. And we know what you've done. Would you be merciful to us? Ashtore Begg said, they come to him on the basis of their need. What is their most obvious need? The need to be healed of leprosy. They need to be healed of it so they can go back to their family, so they can go back to work, so they can be a part of society. And they were so desperate here because there was none other to help. Nothing could be done. The leper lived out by himself until death came. Nothing could change that. Henson's disease is what it is called. It was the bacteria that causes it was discovered by a man named Dr. Henson. I don't know if you know this, there was a leper colony in Louisiana. They have discovered a cure for it, which is a good thing. There are still lepers in the world today. I'll refer to that in just a moment. So they asked Jesus to help them. The Pharisees would not teach them. The Pharisees would have nothing to do with them. Master Jesus, have mercy upon us. I think it was Jeff Thomas that said that the lepers suddenly became very religious in their approach to Jesus. Help us. Well, they had no idea what Jesus was going to do. Maybe they had heard of him healing another leper. He put his hands on him. In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you can do this. I've seen you do all these other marvelous things. I know you can do this. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, what does Christ do? He does the unthinkable. He reaches out his hand and touches the man, saying, I will you be clean. And immediately the leprosy left. Such is the power of our Christ. Such is the power of our Savior. Such is the power of our God that even cells, infected cells, listen to him and obey him. As he healed this man of his disease. Well, this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The text before us this morning is only recorded here in Luke in the 17th chapter. But Christ tells them, uh, go show yourself to the priest. He doesn't touch them. Go show yourself to the priest. And they might be thinking, oh, we've already done that. The priest is the one that sent us out here. He saw us and said we had leprosy, so we're living out here now. The priest has already seen us. Perhaps that's what they were thinking. We don't know what really transpired in their thoughts. Again, the text does not sell us, does not tell us. They're still living under the ceremonial laws of Christ. In keeping with the law. said, go show yourself to the priest. The priest had to declare them clean, you see, in order for them to come back into society. The priest had to say that they were clean. And so they go to show themselves to the priest. And as they're going, they are healed along the way. No more source. No more festering open wounds and more rotted flesh. What might have been left of their toes or fingers was whole and restored. He healed them completely. And one thing about a baby, as you look at the baby's skin, it's always so perfect. There aren't blemishes. There are no moles. I have blemishes all over the place. Some because of sun damage. I like to go to the beach. I like to get in the water. Babies don't have any of that. Perfect. I imagine that these men's skin was something similar to that of a baby, pure, untainted, with no blemishes whatsoever. Can you imagine? Try to put yourself in their place. You know, this this happened 2,000 years ago. Yes or what? Try to put yourself in their place. There was nothing. They could do to change their circumstances, they could not make themselves well, no potion, no medicine, no one was able to help, them. no help at all from anyone. And then Jesus simply says, "Go show yourself to the priest, and along the way, they 're healed." Can you imagine. All of a sudden, your blisters and your wounds were gone. All of a sudden, the difficulty and the pain that you had were gone. And by the way, one thing leprosy does, it kills nerve endings. That's another aspect of the disease. You lose feeling. And it's certain, mostly the extremities of the body. Well, these men all of a sudden had all of this back. They were whole. Now the question I uh, would have you, do you believe this? Do you really believe this happened? If you don't believe this happened, you've got a problem with the rest of the Bible then. Because the whole Bible is a book of miracles and, and supernatural events because it is God's book. But let this grab onto your heart and mind. The same Jesus that we serve today and worship today is the Christ that healed these people. Such was his power. Such was his compassion. Do you see that? He's getting ready to go to be killed. Yet he takes the time, not being overwhelmed by fear, not being distraught by the certainty of his coming torture, but rather his focus is on the needs of these people. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they go, they are healed. Imagine the shock. Imagine maybe the priest is home. And his wife said, there's some men out here who want to see you. Well, who are they? I don't know. They're not dressed very nicely. The hair is kind of messy. But they said they want to see you. And he goes, I didn't look. See, they had to be examined by the priest to be allowed back into the society. And so he looks at them. How would this happen? You know, just not long ago, y'all were covered in sores. How would this happen? You know what do they say? Well, we'd talk about it if we could, but we've got to go home. We want to see our family. Are we clean? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Bye. We'll see you later. One man overwhelmed with gratitude. Goes back to Jesus. I'm clean. How could it be? I'm clean. Beautiful picture of great gratitude and humility. they go together. gratitude and humility go together. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks and what was he doing while he was going to the way uh, along the way? Well he's praising God with a loud voice he's worshiping. When it says he was praising God with a loud voice, that's worship. He's overwhelmed by God's greatness and kindness and power. He's praising God along the way. Thank you. Oh, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And he knows the words of Jesus were behind his being healed. And he goes and takes the position of great humility, prostrates himself on the ground, praises Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that now my life has changed dramatically. And Luke makes the point of telling us this man was a Samaritan. So why? The other men were Jews. The other men had the privileges of the Jewish nation. They had priests. They had been taught. They had an understanding. They should have had an understanding of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. But this one man who had no knowledge of those things, this one man who was an isolated man, even in their society because he was a Samaritan, the Samaritans, as you know, had no dealings with the Jews, or the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So Luke points this out. uh, He was a Samaritan, and he went back to give thanks to Jesus. And Christ says, weren't ten of you? Ten healed, right? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine that were healed as well? They had no thought to come back to thank Christ. had no thought to come back and give him the glory that he did deserve. And he asked this question. There was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner. This stranger to the laws of Israel. This foreigner who really was a part of a nation that had been rebellion against God's kingdom. They had their own place to worship. The Samaritan what this indicates, and this is something I think that Alistair Begg really pointed out more than he than the others did, although uh, again, I think Jeff Thomas's sermon was the best one I listened to, he was converted. he was converted. a man who goes back and falls at the feet of Jesus. And thanks, Jesus, for what he has done. This man was converted. He was a believer. He fell, on his fa- he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, the Samaritan. He was a man who knew who Christ was and what Christ had done. Now, did he understand the depths of the gospel? No, he didn't understand that. But he knew that this man, Jesus, was a Savior. By God's grace, he knew this man, Jesus, was really his hope in this world and in the next. So a grateful Samaritan, he praises God along the way. And when he arrives there, he thanks God, taking on a position of extreme gratitude. Sinclair Ferguson tells a story in his sermon. And this is really It talks about a recognition of the value of Jesus and having Christ in your life and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson had a friend that was a physician, surgeon, and he was working somewhere in a third world country. I'm not sure exactly where it was. I don't remember that he said where it was. But this surgeon showed uh, Sinclair Ferguson a picture of a man with this big smile on his face. It was an infectious smile. It was a sincere smile. And uh, he told Sinclair that he had taken this this man's legs off. He had amputated his legs because of the leprosy. This man said this, I thank God for my leprosy. Otherwise, I've never known to come to Christ. His body hacked up, losing his legs. And yet, he has the joy of Christ, knowing the salvation of Christ, and knowing that the day would come when losing his legs didn't matter, wouldn't matter, because he was going now was one who had his citizenship in heaven. This is gratitude that that man had sincere gratitude to God. For his work of salvation on this man's behalf. Some things to consider. This event throws light on one of the most practical sub- on one of the important subjects in practical Christianity. I'll say it again. This event throws light on the most important subject in practical Christianity. Prayer. It is Prayer. How often do we pray like these lepers prayed to Jesus when they saw him? Have mercy upon us. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon us. They're imploring him, they're pleading with him to show that mercy to them. How earnestly do we cry out for help to God when we are in need? How earnestly do we seek his face when we are not in need how is your prayer life are your prayers mere forms meaningless repetition as jesus says at one place in the scriptures thoughtless ramblings are we saying words but not really praying if you're unaware of these things then that's going to be true if you're unaware of your need for god's help then you won't pray as you should. If you're unaware of God, that God sovereignly rules over all things, then you will not pray as you should. If you're unaware that all you have, all that you possess, whether it's your wife, your children, your home, whatever, the food on the table is there by God's sovereign working. It comes to you, signed, sealed, and delivered to you personally by God. And if you are not aware that you don't deserve anything from God, then you won't really be grateful to him. What do we deserve from God's hand? Well, his blessings, of course. He owes it to us. He owes it to us to give us things that we want in his life because he made us. No, he doesn't owe us a thing. What we merit, what we've earned is God's wrath and condemnation. That's what we've earned. And so that all of these things that we enjoy are ours by his grace. His grace and kindness to us. So we need to be aware of these things and then also be aware of the needs you have in your life and that God meets those needs. You know someone that's prayed and prayed and prayed for healing for somebody else and they didn't, they didn't get well, they died. Well, how do we give thanks to God for that? How do we give thanks to God when he has broken our hearts, disappointed us, And taking something that we love dearly. It's in this that you have the comfort of the gospel. And the person that you know as a believer, you have the knowledge of knowing that they're in glory. People that die and go to be with Christ are in a world that is far better than this one has ever been or ever will be. And we trust God to take care of them. And we have the comfort that goes beyond explanation as we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ in those trying times. All that we have, all that we possess comes to us by God's grace and kindness to us. And we rightfully give him thanks and praise for those things. And one person said this, how rare is thankfulness to God in the church today? How rare is true thankfulness to God in the church today? And I think it was uh, um, Jeff Thomas that said, when we are in worship, we should thank God we had the ability to get here. We should thank God we've got a home to go to when we leave. We should thank God we're going to have food on the table when we get there. That we thank God for all these things that we take for granted and felt felt really remember that they're blessings that come to us by God's working." He blesses us and gives us all of these wonderful things. And so pray daily to have a thankful spirit. Pray daily that you will recognize the need to give thanks to God for all that he has given to you. And pray daily as well for the humility that is essential to have gratitude to God. We are so easily given to arrogance and pride, are we not? We accomplish something, we stick our chest out, and we pat ourselves on the back, and what a good job I've done. You may have done a good job, and you should do the best you can possibly do. But God gave you the ability to do those things. Not only that, he puts you in a particular time and place that you could do something. So glory goes to him, and it goes to him entirely. Jeff Thomas told a story, I'll end with this. There was a man... I didn't write down his name. I don't remember it. Um, He was a pastor in a town, a diocese, and he basically had all these people under his care. He kept a record. In 20 years, he visited 2,000 people, not church members, people in the community that were sick. And he went by there, but they weren't members of the church. He would pray with them. He would read scripture to them and pray Jeff Thomas says all of them got well eventually. You know how many came to worship? How many came to the church? Out of 2,000 people? Two. Two people. Lack of gratitude is a problem in the world, and it's a problem in the church also. May God give us the grace to know that he is a source of all blessings and hope. He is the source of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get together with whoever you're going to get together with this Thursday, remember this. Christ has given us the best gift that we could possibly have. Better than food, better than house, better than family. He's given us salvation. Do you know Jesus this morning? The question is not are you religious. The question is... Do you know and have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? If you don't, seek his face. Seek him out. He will not in any way refuse you. Let's pray.